0: You ever wonder why it is God has us gather as believers each week? Why does he ask this of us? Why do we go through all the hassle of setting the alarm, of trying to wake up your kids or your spouse, trying to get them fed, clothed, that's just talking about your spouse, and out the door... On the one of the very few mornings that you have off in a week, why do we go through all of the hassle? Why are we all so encaffeinated? I saw that this morning. Uh, why do we go through all that hassle? I was I was thinking about that. First off, the reason is because God tells us to. Have you ever seen this in scripture? This is found in Hebrews 10, 24. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So it's not something that we're supposed to neglect, it's something we're intended to do, so that's one we're told to do. And then it gives another clue, we can leave that verse there for a second. The second thing, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, So we're intended to be cheering each other on, stirring each other on, compelling each other. In fact, tell the person next to you, you can do it right now so we can live this out. See, that was heartfelt. I like that participation. You can do it. But here, think for, for a moment. One of the other reasons we come together, one of the primary reasons with that encouragement piece is also to have time to deal with some of the junk in our own lives. Because as you've already heard Chad talk about with confession, if we're not careful, we can have built up in our lives tons of stuff that's obstructing our relationship with God. I would suggest that we often neglect the role of repentance in the life of a believer because we've embraced the whole grace thing, the whole uh, act of accepting Jesus' work on the, the cross, and then we forget the daily upkeep that's intended to be in the life of a believer. We're just content with just kind of moving on past all the stuff that's really, if we're honest with ourselves, hindering ourselves from moving and actually accomplishing the whole love and good works thing. You see, when there's a, a severed relationship between us and God, when there's junk in the way, it's hard to live out a call of love and good works when you're not in relationship with the one who is the source of love and good works. I borrowed an illustration, actually, Matt's going to help me with, uh, from Francis Chan. It's kind of the uh, the picture, if you will. And I actually didn't have to wander uh, too far uh, in this community to help get this illustration. This is kind of a, a picture, and it's uh, a, a picture of what we've uh, uh, get uh, accustomed to having in uh, the way in our lives. Uh, this was on a, on a horse trail. <laughs> this is on a horse trail, not too far from here, uh, and basically, it's it's a pile of yeah, yeah poo. <laughs> It's a pile, a pile of poo, and, uh, and, and since Francis Chan did this, I figured I could too. He pointed out this picture that a lot of times, we have this major pile of poo in our lives sitting right in the living room, and yet we just show up to church just kind of, you know, just dusting off a few things, to, you know, taking care of the little stuff. Yeah, I covet. Yeah, that's bad, and, uh, and, and addressing the little stuff. And not ever taking time to acknowledge, man, there's some major stuff, junk, <laughs> poo, that's built up in my life. And so my hope this morning is one, do, do you smell that at all? I, I had to dig that off a trail and put it in my vehicle. So hopefully it makes a point. You think and, and talk about a, a, a wonderful usher willing to serve in this capacity. <laughs> Matt's awesome like that. <laughs> Stephanie asked me if I needed help. I'm like, Stephanie, I can't make you to do it. I'll get Matt. And so, so grateful. But, uh, but really, the picture. Hopefully, that you can talk about uh, over lunch today. Um, but the the picture and the idea is this: is we can get so caught up in just addressing the little stuff, and go get com- perfectly content and accustomed to living with. Major crud just existing in our life. This morning, the, the push or the call is to create and establish a lifestyle of repentance where we don't let that junk build up, where we, where we have a clean heart. And we're going to look uh, clearly at a, a man who had definitely blown it because I think it's important for us as Christ followers to learn how to think, feel, and respond to sin in our lives. How to think, feel, and respond to sin in our lives. And the example that we have set in the story of David is definitely one of someone that's blown it and figured out how to appropriately respond to sin. Let me pray as we dive into the text. God, thank you this morning for a chance to be in your house and already celebrating you appropriately, which I believe is important, important to to put the focus on you, but also God, we ask that we redirect the spotlight also in the hidden corners of our lives, the stuff that's accumulated, the stuff that we choose to move past and let sit there for extended periods of time. I pray that this morning would be a step in the direction of dealing with genuine, real heart issues, stuff that separates us, stuff that gets in the the way of of a dynamic relationship with you, God. I pray that you'd work in us, that you would convict us, that you'd challenge us here this morning like you have me in this text this week. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 51, and you can start turning there in uh, your Bible now, would be fantastic. And this was uh, kind of an interesting thing because I was starting to do this study and prepare and work through Psalm 51, and then I realized, I was like, man, this This looks real familiar, and I look back, and like two and a half years ago, I taught a bit from Psalm 51, so this is a little bit, some repeat, but hopefully a lot of new. It was in a series that we did on David that I touched on this passage, and it's appropriate because in Psalm 51, you don't have to wonder what this psalm is about, one of the few that are as direct as possible. Look at even the top of Psalm 51 in the heading, says this, "'To the choir master,' A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Had gone in to Bathsheba. If you're familiar with the story, David had really messed up from lusting over another man's wife to then forcing her to be with him and then trying to cover it up, lying to her husband, ultimately having her husband Uriah killed on the battlefront, continuing to cover up. I mean, if you're ever feeling like you've blown it or you've dropped the ball, I mean, this guy had really... I mean, these weren't just like some little subtle things he had done. He was guilty as charged. He was very... He had, he had really blown it, and Psalm 51 is his response. It's interesting, though, that he didn't come to recognize his sin until someone called him out in it. Sometimes that's necessary in our lives, amen? Sometimes you need a Nathan that's going to say, hey, you've messed up. You need to deal with this junk. You have to address that. That's exactly what Nathan does. We're going to actually pick up before we dive into Psalm 51. I'll put it on the screen so you don't even have to turn, but this is found In 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 7, this is when Nathan confronts David. Nathan was the prophet of God, confronts David in the sin. Check this out. I had to read it to you. It says, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the one poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And you guys are probably familiar with Nathan's response just four simple words. Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are the man of this story. You took something that didn't belong to you. You took very little that Uriah had, and you took it for yourself. You are that man. That was the crossroads where David came to, where he could either go into denial and defense, or he could choose to own his own junk, his own poo, and say, I've blown it. I'm wrong. I've sinned before God, and thankfully, he did. He chose to respond appropriately, and that's what we read in Psalm 51. We see the account of his response, and I would suggest there's a ton we can learn from this little section of Scripture about how to appropriately deal with sin in our life, how to appropriately respond to conviction, how to respond when the Holy Spirit's saying, oh, yeah. You shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have done that. Because a lot of times we're like, well, what do I do now? How do I proceed? Maybe I'll just ignore it and it'll go away. Instead, he chooses to deal with it. Take a look at verse 1 of chapter 51 of Psalms. The first thing you'll see is he throws himself at God's mercy. It says this, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. First thing he does, he decides to go to the source, to the source of the offense and deal with it. I love how all of these things are often taken and really from the same relational terms. When, we, when we've blown it with someone else, what's the best thing to do? Go to the person that you've blown it with and address it directly with them. Some years back, I was in college, and um, well, it took a, for a weekend getaway. We went and stayed with my unc- at my uncle's house. He had a really great property, a lot of acreage and four-wheelers and fun stuff to do. And when we were staying, one of the days that we were there, my uncle was there, and he has a pretty, uh, in Ohio they do this, uh, a pretty ex- expansive gun collection has like this glass thing and, and he said he was leaving for the day and just it was going to be me and my buddy on the four-wheelers and hanging out he said hey listen guys one thing I do have as a rule is like don't don't use the guns don't 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 shoot the guns I've got the 22 here don't don't shoot that and so soon as my uncle left uh guess what we did <laughs> ran to Walmart because that 22 needed some bullets you know and and so <laughs> and, and Ended up, uh, ended up shooting a few crows. I, this is confession time, right? We're being honest. And I'll tell you what. Afterwards, it was eating at me. It was eating at me. I was like, oh, man. And then I found out that my uncle, after we were back in college, had found out that I had done this. I was like, oh, man. And so, you know, it was eating at me, eating at me. So what did I do? Picked up the phone, called Uncle Jim. Jim. I blew it. He's like, yeah, you did. Yeah, you definitely did. That was really dumb. And, but it was so cool to talk through it and go directly to the source because why? On the other side of it was forgiveness and grace, and that relationship was restored. He's still one of my favorite uncles. I don't know if I'm one of his favorite uh, <laughs> nephews, but... But here what's interesting to me is David pleads for mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. It's the opposite of justice. Justice is getting exactly what we deserve. And it's interesting how we love to cry for justice for everyone except ourselves, right? Remember David's response to Nathan's story. He must die, right? He must die. Our sin always looks worse on others. Our sin always seems to look worse on others. He appeals to God's steadfast love and abundant mercy. And what I love is that's our best game plan. Because if you're just going for the justice of man, how well do you think you would stand up with Judge Judy or in a human court? Not well, right? Because why? We're guilty as charged. So he chooses to lean into the character of a loving and merciful God. So that's where he starts, and I'd suggest that's where we should start. Look at verse 2 as he continues. He asks for a clean slate. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. If you think about that, what a bold ask that is. In other words, he's saying, make it as if I hadn't done all these heinous acts make it as if, wash me clean as if this had not occurred. That's a pretty big ask. And if you really stop and think about it, I was like, you know, this is one of the hard pieces of scripture to actually think through. Because in our heart of hearts, part of us, when David's asking for forgiveness is just like, man, he deserves some consequence. Like think think about it. Think about the expanse of, of his sin and the influence it had on so many people. You're you're like man. The miserable stuff. Can God just ignore it as if it hadn't happened? That just doesn't seem right, does it? Doesn't doesn't seem. What what about Bathsheba? What about Bathsheba's mom? What, what, that, that's in tears, asking for justice. What about Uriah's best friend that was out on the battlefront with him, watching his buddy intentionally sent to the front of the line? What about the other soldiers that were also sent out to the front of the line that had nothing to do that, uh, with this and also died because of it? What about all of these different things? And you're uh, a part of us just like, man, if God is a just God... There has to be penalty for what has happened here, right? Isn't it anybody else read these stories in scripture? And you're just like, man, I don't know if I want him to get forgiveness. I don't know if I want him to have his 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 slate wiped clean. That's in our heart of hearts, that's how we read these. But the wonderful thing is, is that God was able to remain just and also loving. Because the penalty for David's sin wasn't uh, wasn't taken care of immediately, but a couple hundred years later, on a cruel Roman barbaric cross, it was nailed to that cross. Jesus Christ absorbed David's sin, absorbed our sin. He's the one that allows for this request to be fulfilled. He's the one that makes it possible for clean slates. He's the one that allowed it to be still a just God. We don't get what we deserve. That's a good thing. That's why we come together on Sunday mornings. That's why we celebrate, because we don't get what we serve. That's why we sing about grace, because we deserve penalty just like David did, but instead, Jesus Christ took that on himself. But that doesn't mean that believers continue in their sin without ever addressing it. Doesn't mean that we go on and just bask in God's grace and forgiveness on the cross and don't deal with ongoing sin in our life. You think about how many times in scripture we're told that repentance is intended to be part of our life. Think of even the the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's intended to be part of the routine, not saying routine in like a, oh, here we go again kind of routine, but part of a lifestyle of a believer. It's also, if you remember our series that we worked through, the letters to the churches. And in through in, in Revelation, each one, actually, five of the seven churches were also called to repentance, and intended to be part of the upkeep of our relationship on our side between us and God. You can't always presume on a committed relationship. Now, we had some guys over last night uh, to watch that, that fight that John was talking about, that John helped prepare Mayweather for. And, uh, and, and, uh, and afterwards, now imagine the, the mess that the guys had left. If I just walked away from that mess, actually it wasn't much of a mess, but it sounds better than this illustration. Uh, imagine if I just walked away from that mess and just was just like, Adrian, you're on your own. You know, like, like uh, I, I didn't deal with the junk. Like, no way. You, you, you have to address it. You can't lean into saying, yeah, but she's married to me. She's not going anywhere. Like Imagine if I had that statement. You guys would shoot me up here. Of of course you have to address it. The same is true with the grace that we've received from Jesus Christ. We can't always presume on positional forgiveness. We have to address sin as it occurs in our life. And we need to leave our excuses at the door. Look at David, how he responds in verse three, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, my del- you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. See the thing that you notice from David in his response is it's not it's not coupled with excuses. It's just saying, yes, I've blown it. I have messed up. Uh, It's not treating sin as if it was a parking ticket that everybody gets. It's dealing with sin as it's stage four cancer. It is a problem. I have blown it. I own it. He uses every possible word for sin, transgression, sin, iniquity. There's a sense of torment you see in his words there. Like he's describing this man, man, it's eating away at me day and night. He says that's it's something that's uh, ever before me he describes. That's how sin works, isn't it? When we've blown it, when we're really messed up, like it just it just eats away at our conscience. It, it severs our relationship with God, it severs our relationship with others. It's one of those things that oh and there's something that comes in confession. When you finally own it, when you finally come clean, is on the other side of that, is that exhale, sin's such a liar, it promises all this fulfillment, but it comes out with just sorrow and regret. Many years back when I was in high school, I had gotten in a a car accident, and actually when describing the car accident to my parents had a very different description uh, of what had actually occurred and I realized for a lot, of, a lot of years, that was like, man, that was just eating, eating me up inside. I was like, man, I totally deceived my dad. He was, he was looking for a hit-and-run car, and I was actually the one that had hit and uh, run. And, uh, and so uh, just probably five or six years ago, just in a family gathering, we're all sharing like dumb stuff we had done in, in, in high school, I told him that story for the first time. And it's interesting because even whatever amount of years that was later there's kind of he's like, "Oh, well, I forgive you, so glad you turned out all right." and I was like, "Oh well, I could tell you a few more things <laughs> and, uh, and and he um, and, and, and but even in that there there's freedom in the telling of the story right there's freedom in the telling of the story that's the same thing with God he's waiting there he, he's, he's like, man, just come clean, just own your stuff I, i'm anxious to forgive you. It's like the prodigal child that's coming back and the, the thinking that the parent's going to give him such a hard time, and the parent's just like, are you kidding me? I'm so glad to have you back. I want to douse you with grace and forgiveness. So he chooses to own his, his own junk, unlike other char- characters that we see in Scripture. I, I was Thinking about this this week, when when uh, Adam was confronted with uh, his sin, how did he respond? He said, "This woman you gave me, this woman you gave me." Do you see the double blame in that? One blaming on the woman, two the woman you gave me. So it was like the ultimate double blame. David doesn't go that route. He does own the fact though that this is something that he was born with, and I don't really see that in this context as a as a blame other than the fact that he's just pointing to the fact that this is this is a real issue. It's all the way to my core. Man, in our repentance, what if we modeled this? What if we started really owning our junk and saying, man, th- this, is, this is in me. I am rotten, God. You're my one hope. Throwing ourselves to God's mercy. Like, too, that he doesn't just leave it with forgiveness. He also pleads for inner transformation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Love this. He wants more than just forgiveness. He won't be content until he is completely changed from the inside out. So often we just want to make sure that we're forgiven and we're back right in relationship. You ever had that with somebody that they come to you and they're just like, Hey, I'm so sorry. But then you're like, yeah, well, you can demonstrate that with what? Change. You can you can demonstrate that with with not doing it anymore there's a concept uh, that that that's the idea of true repentance moves to change but I love that David acknowledges that he's not the one that can fix himself do you see that he's like cleanse me he's coming to the one high priest he says purge me with hyssop that was a long plant that was used by priests to sprinkle blood over a sacrifice. That was the, the idea that I'm coming to the one priest that has any hope of me not doing this again. I'm coming to the one chance, and look what he asked for. Not just a, a cleansed heart, he asked for a new, a clean heart, renew a right spirit in me. He, he's asking, in the, the word there that's used for uh, create is actually the same word that's used in Genesis one one. So he's saying, start fresh with my heart. Give me a new one. If I'm going to change, if I'm going to be transformed, I'm desperately in need of you to do it for me. I need you for this. Again, cast me not away from your presence. That's what his hope is. Man, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit Back in the Old Testament, was a little bit more come and go in the life of believers. Now, it's not something that we have to fear. He's asking not for a refurbished heart, but creating a new heart. Then he commits to influencing others once this has happened, once this occurred. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors, transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth would declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I'd give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design and your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. In summary of that section, he commits, if God chooses to restore him, that he will use that to influence others. I love the story of testimonies of people that are like, you know what? I had really blown it, but I have victory over this sin. It's only because of run reason. It's because of Jesus Christ. Now I have joy. Do you see that in the text there? This joy, now I can be singing of his goodness and faithfulness in my life because I've been on the receiving end of his forgiveness. He says, I'll teach transgressors your way that's how revival re- begins when someone's been stuck in the, their pile of junk they're pulled out and they're like now i can do something of influence i can have influence on others i love how god takes something uh, our our blow our uh, blown experiences or our mess ups and he's able to restore them and use them for good i we had a fun story um from camp this summer. My son went to Hume for the first time. He's sitting in the front row uh, and uh, he was there at camp. And uh, when I saw, I actually, when I was in Ecuador this last uh, March, I'd met a guy, a pastor, and we were just chatting. He's like, oh yeah, I'm I'm teaching at Hume this summer. I was like, oh, my son's going to Hume. And he's like, well, what weeks? And it lined up that he was going to be the teacher. So when I was dropping Chase off, I ran into this pastor and I said, hey, feel free to uh, pick on Chase, you know, do whatever you want with him during the week. And, uh, and so he came to Chase not to pick on him. The, the, the week was building towards this gospel message. And so the week was all, all building to this. So the night that he was sharing the gospel, he went to Chase and said, hey, will you be an illustration in this message? And there's like five, 600 kids in this room. And Chase like, yeah, happy to do it. Well, it comes at a time in the message and it's all, it's super serious, it's super intense, building towards a chance for students to respond and make the choice to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And uh, the speaker uh, sa- says in the, uh, to the audience, he says, and may I have Chase Kegel come up real quick to help me out here? Crickets. <laughs> can, I have, uh, can I have Chase Kegel come, come on up and, and help me out? Crickets. Then it's the sound of his good friend Zion that says, Chase would come up, but he's asleep. <laughs> so Chase missed the opportunity to be, uh, to be as an example in the message because he took a little doze. But here, listen to this story. So this is what he celebrates in this story. You can see if there's celebration. So the pastor chooses some other random guy to come up as an example. The random guy doesn't know Jesus, knows nothing about him. The random guy literally that night gives his life to Jesus Christ. So, so, so Chase, that was awesome. So Chase is like, see how God used my sleep? <laughs> To bring people to the Lord, and and, and so uh, so anyway, I had to tell that story. Um, But somehow that relates. Uh, The the idea being that God can take silly mistakes, He can take really big mistakes. He's in the business of taking mistakes and restoring them for influence, restoring them, using them for good. That's why he's the master orchestrator. And that's what David is saying. Man, if you'll cleanse me, man, I'll, I'll be free. My, my joy will come back. I'll be able to influence others. That's on the other side of repentance. That's on the other side of repentance. So I couldn't have all this talk about repentance without giving us just a couple minutes, the gift of, of time. Chad's going to come up and just play a little bit. We're just going to be quiet for a few moments. Look at, look at that model that, that was set for us through David. First, he throws himself at God's mercy. Then he asks for a clean slate. He owns his junk without excuse. He pleads for inner transformation. Then he commits to influence others. Maybe that's the model that we use, even just for a few moments of quiet now, just have you spend some time talking with the Lord. Maybe somebody's in here and you're like, I got a perfect clean slate, no issues. Then you can just enjoy Chad's music. The rest of us can spend some time just talking and coming before our God. Sound good? Just be quiet for a few moments. Well, I hope this is something that we apply to our lives, that we implement a lifestyle of repentance. I'll tell you what I'd suggest, based on one author's words, it's the best dance you'll ever boogie to. So that's uh, an invitation going into your week ahead. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.